Hey there, and welcome into the Inside the Daily Press podcast. I'm Blake Atwell. On today's episode, Daily Press publisher Ross Furukawa interviews Rob Lemley of Lemley Law Group, a local Santa Monica-based law firm. Rob has a variety of cases and always has great stories to tell, as well as a few interesting words of advice. Let's get into it. Okay, so I'm here with Rob Lemley from the Lemley Law Group. Rob, uh, good to see you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. You got it. Great to be here. We've known each other for 15 years? Somewhere around 15, 20. It's, it's been a while. Yeah, right. So like the, the backstory on that is that Rob knew my wife Nina before we moved to Los Angeles. We finally moved to Santa Monica, and that's where I ran into you and, and your group of homies, right? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Uh, we started uh, hanging out a little bit. We had some common interests, a little bit of a uh, little golf, a little poker, a little surfing, a little softball, as I recall. That is the West Side story. Yeah, we played on the Santa Monica Daily Press team together, didn't we? We won it. That's right. We won the won the F okay. League championship or whatever that was. I don't know. It was not the talented league. Um, but hey, welcome. We have uh, we have Rob here. He's a local attorney. Uh, has the Lemley Law Firm. And uh, every time I talk to Rob that we hang out in any of the above, you know, poker or, or, you know, golf or surfing, he's got great stories to tell. So I thought it might be a great idea to have you on today and, and you, uh, maybe share some of that uh, advice and wisdom with our, our listeners. Absolutely. So let's get into it. So, so I know you're a member of this group called the Surfing Lawyers. What is that? So the Association of Surfing Lawyers is a, a group of guys and and women um, who are in the legal community. Um, We get together a couple times a year, host different events with different speakers in the surfing world. Um, Some of your listeners may know the names like Greg Knoll or um, Sean Thompson when they release a book or a movie or something to promote. Association of Surfing Lawyers will have a get-together at a local restaurant, have an evening. Uh, We do an annual trip which is usually a, a nice surf destination uh, where we'll do continuing legal education seminars. And it's a good time for uh, lawyers of, of all different uh, types of practices to get together and bond over a common interest and uh, have some good fun. So I guess that, uh, that perception that the Spicoli surfer you know, doesn't really rhyme with, uh, with lawyers. No, not necessarily. Um, you know, we we've got um, we've got retired judges that are members. We've got mediators. We've got uh, surfers ranging from uh, new bar admittees to people that are in their approaching retirement. Um, it's it's a great way to get together. Uh, a good friend of mine, David Olin, local Santa Monica lawyer, is the uh, starter or founder of that group. And uh, he's done a great job growing it. We've got uh, people down in Orange County. We've got an Orange County chapter. And I believe uh, there's an Australian chapter, although I, I haven't had the chance to meet any of those folks. Um, so the Surfing Lawyers is, is alive and well, and that's a real thing. Um, you know, one of the things when you walk around Santa Monica, you see people everywhere walking with dogs. So... And I've seen at the dog parks, I've seen confrontations, I've seen all sorts of different things. So, so what happens? What is what happens when somebody when a dog bites somebody? Like I've always been curious about that. Sure. Um, so, when a dog bites you, um, it's it's obviously a traumatic 
event, um, you should try to find the owner. Um, and if the dog was on a leash, obviously that's easy. If it's running wild, we don't recommend that you try to chase the dog down. He's obviously vicious and you don't want to risk getting bitten again. Um, you, you should try to establish contact with the owner um, and find out why that dog was was able to attack you. What, what, why, why was that dog not properly restrained, leashed, or otherwise behind a fence? Um, when you speak with the dog owner, um, you, you're going to want to ask that person for any homeowner's insurance that they might have. Um, you may start incurring medical bills depending on how serious the attack was. I've had clients who've been actually knocked down um, by larger animals and required back surgery as a direct result of being knocked over by a dog. Fortunately, in that instance, there was ample homeowner's insurance to cover my client's um, needs for medical expenses as well as... Uh, to recover for their pain, suffering, inconvenience, and so forth. Um, in addition to trying to locate the owner, you should also notify the proper authorities and make a report of the attack. It's important not only for um, for your own well-being and for the if you're going to pursue a case to have that report on file, but you want to alert the authorities that there may be a wild animal at loose and, and hopefully prevent other people from suffering a, a similar fate. Okay, so find the dog owner and call the police. What if what if you're at the dog park? So all the dogs are going crazy at the park. Some you know maybe there's an aggressive dog. The dog jumps into it, bites your dog. Now what do you do? Okay, so um, in California, this, this is going to sound a little unfair, especially to dog owners. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dog owner, have been a dog owner, I love dogs, but the state of California and most states in, the, in America consider dogs to be property. Um, if your property is harmed by somebody else's property, um, you cannot recover any kind of pain and suffering, you cannot recover any kind of emotional um, loss. Um, I've had cases where sadly uh, uh, an owner lost a dog to another dog's attack um, and really all you can get are your veterinary bills. Uh, if there are burial expenses you can recover that but um, dogs are considered property and uh, you know whatever the value of your dog is is essentially all you'll ever be able to recover. So I certainly know people that put the value of that dog at a billion dollars. Right, like, how do you how do you even reconcile that? Well, well, you you can insurance carriers can determine on the open market, just like a, a car that's been totaled, they can go out on the open market and find a substantially similar piece of property um, with the same options as yours had. Uh, I know it doesn't sound fair. Again, I, I'm I love dogs, and I know there's a huge emotional connection. Um, and it's it's like losing a family member. Um, if your dog were to be attacked and and killed by another dog, but as I said, there's there's simply no recovery for any of that emotional uh, loss that that an owner would suffer. Okay. So on the way over here, on the way over here, I noticed uh, an accident at Fifth and Santa Monica Boulevard, and you know, big crash. There was a tow truck you know about 10 cops and like an ambulance it looked like someone just tried to make a left turn and um but i see car accidents here 
all the time. And it just, I, I guess it feels like, and my comments have, I've heard comments that people think there's a lot of car accidents in this town. Is that, is that the case or is it uh, no more dangerous than anywhere else in LA? Um, no, I, I, you know, I, while I don't want to quote any statistical information because I don't happen to have it, um, I think that with all the congestion that we have with people on cell phones, with people who are distracted by pedestrians and, and bicyclists and all other things, uh, I think accidents in a congested area like Santa Monica are probably higher than, than most places. Uh, certainly that holds true for all of Los Angeles, from our freeways to our city streets, that it's just a very, very dangerous um, thing to do getting behind the wheel of a car not necessarily because you may be a danger but somebody else who's distracted or not paying attention uh, and and with the numbers as high as they are um, accidents are bound to happen so without any scientific data if you were to say where you think the the most dangerous places to be or the worst accidents happen where where would you say those areas are well you know, uh, the worst accidents are obviously accidents that involve greater forces and greater speeds, and that's generally on the freeways, uh, especially in the interchanges. I, I believe the 405 and 101 interchange has been dubbed the most dangerous intersection in America. Even though everyone's going like five miles an hour all the time there? Even though, because of <laughs> just because of the pure numbers, and, and don't get me wrong, um, you know, people can get injured in five mile an hour accidents. It happens. It it's you know, insurance companies will often poo poo that and and undervalue a case because there's lower speeds. Um, but people do get hurt in those kind of accidents all the time. Got it. So and so locally here, we're looking at places that have high speeds. Olympic, PCH freeway off-ramps. Is that where the danger is? That's pretty accurate, Ross, yeah. Um, you know, where, where there's more wide open, two, three lanes, wider intersections, people often, as I said, they're not paying enough attention. They miss, may miss a light. They may try to beat a light uh, and, and accelerate through an intersection. Uh, so you got a lot, of, a lot of speed and a lot of force. And uh, again, the more more speed and force that's involved in an impact, the more likely you are to sustain bodily injury. So one of the things I've noticed is there's a lot of r- car share, ride share, Ubers, Lyfts, all over the place. Sure. So what happens if you're a passenger and, you know, that guy runs into something or somebody hits you and you're in an Uber? Okay. Great question, Ross. We, we, handle, uh, we handle Uber and Lyft accidents all the time at Lemley Law. And, um, you know, Uber is, is fairly easy to work with. They will they, they are insured. Uh, I know that they have pretty good limits of liability on their coverage. Um, so if the Uber driver is at fault, uh, you should be okay in terms of being able to financially recover your, your medical expenses, if you have lost earnings, if you have um, any other sort of collateral expenses as well as your pain and suffering. Um, however, if you're a passenger and it's a different, another driver's fault, not the Uber driver's fault, but somebody that hits the Uber driver, um, you need to be sure that you get all your Uber driver's information. And if you are able to communicate with that other driver to be sure to get all their information as well, um, their insurance will be primary. Um, if the person that hit the Uber vehicle doesn't have insurance, 
Um, Uber has something called uninsured or underinsured motorist coverage. And I recommend everybody that's listening to this podcast consider adding as much UM or uninsured motorist coverage to their own policy um, as possible. Why is that? Well, a couple reasons. First of all, in California, the law is that there is a minimum policy uh, requirement of $15,000 for liability. So let's say that um, you're a passenger in the Uber and, and you also have motor vehicle coverage f- for your own vehicle. Um, if the person that hit your Uber only has $15,000 of coverage or has no coverage at all, uh, you could then turn to your own uninsured, underinsured motorist protection to recover your damages. Um, I've had cases where uh, clients are significantly injured. They require neck and back surgery, which costs tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, they're hit by somebody with a minimal or, or low-end policy. Uh, unfortunately, they had, in this particular instance, I'm thinking $100,000 of UM coverage that they were able to access. And in that instance, quite honestly, I don't even think the 100000 was enough for this, this young woman. Um, which is why I recommend loading up, regardless of what your liability coverage is, get as much on your UM coverage as possible. Um, The premiums are relatively inexpensive compared to liability, and you never know when you might need it. Got it. So if if you're in the back of an Uber, somebody hits you, it's not your fault. It's still up to you to go get all that information. Yes, and that's why I, I suggest you get a hold of all the um, Uber drivers' information. You should have it in your app, um, but they're trained to, to gather the proper information of the other driver. Let's see. Well, so the other the other share economy transportation, which is on everybody's mind, are these scooters, right? So scooters are everywhere. Uh, what happens if you fall on a scooter... I don't know, run into a, I saw a woman run into a curb. So who's at fault there? Okay, so, you know, without actually having seen that accident, we'll just assume it was the rider's own fault. Um, there is a policy in, in our law called assumption of the risk. Certain activities, by their very nature, are deemed risky, um, whether it's surfing, <laughs> riding a bicycle, uh, skiing, jumping out of a helicopter, there are risks associated with that activity. And for better or worse, I would say that riding a scooter has certain risks associated with it, like failing to control it or like failing to see something laying in the street that causes you to lose your balance. Um, You know, risk is what makes an activity often fun, uh, exciting. And when you assume certain risks, you also assume those dangers. Now, There are cases, obviously, where you're hurt on a scooter, and it's not your fault. Um, The easiest example would be a car doesn't see you and and hits you or causes you to lose control somehow. And in that case, you, just like in an auto accident, get the driver's information, Um, get their, you know, get their ID, uh, get their insurance information, get the vehicle information. and obviously, if you've been hurt, you're going to want to call 911 immediately and, and get the police on the scene and, and get yourself appropriate medical treatment. What about in the instance, so when when whatever scooter company opened up in San Diego, I remember hearing about 
people cutting the brake lines. Like the, the scooter haters out there were actually damaging these these vehicles, and somebody would hop on and you know you hop on a scooter without brakes. Watch out. So who's at fault there? Well, you know that's a great question, Ross. I, I the the distributor manufacturer owner of that scooter that's providing it to the public owes the public a duty of providing safe uh, machinery safe equipment to operate and their breach of that duty can put liability on them Uh, what they would argue obviously is that they didn't know there wasn't enough time for them to discover that brakes had been cut Um, and it's on the person making the claim it's on them to prove that the brakes had been cut long enough or the defect had existed long enough that the owner of the scooter knew or should have known that uh, there was a problem. What about a news story that says people are cutting the cables on these scooters? Well, that that raises the issue of notice. Um, that's one of the requirements of the law is that um, the, the owner of the equipment, the scooter in this case, uh, knew or reasonably should have known that there was a problem with their equipment. Um, if there's news stories out there, then the scooter company is aware that um, there are vandals doing damage to their equipment. Uh, the scooter company has a duty to, to ma- make sure that um, their equipment is operating properly when, when a user rents it. Um, if, if you do have an accident that's related to something like a, a brake line failure, we recommend that you um, maintain possession of the scooter if you can. Uh, you're going to need somebody on your side, an expert, to examine the scooter to determine what happened, why the brakes failed, uh, and if they can determine whether it was an actual vandal cutting the line or if it was normal wear and tear. Uh, but you're going to want to somehow identify what caused the failure. Okay. So if you think there's something wrong, grab the scooter. It's it's not your property, but I think in, in that sort of case, if you grab the scooter and contact a lawyer, get somebody to take a look at that scooter right away, figure out what happened um, before the scooter owner has a chance to retrieve their property and, and repair, replace, or, or otherwise destroy that scooter. Music for the Inside the Daily Press podcast is brought to you by The Brig Band. The Brig Band is an LA jam band that has been playing live since 2002. Regular members and guests have played professionally with everyone from Miles Davis, Herbie Hancock, and Stevie Wonder, to The Doors, Fishbone, and Steely Dan. To find out where and when you can hear them live, head to thebrigband.com. Okay, so hit and runs happen all the time here in Santa Monica. So if you're a pedestrian, you're walking down the street, a car hits you. What is that an uninsured motorist thing, or what is the what if if you're walking and your does your car insurance kick in at that point? Yeah, it, it, your car insurance will cover you if you're a pedestrian, if you're on a bicycle, if you're driving a vehicle, any kind of vehicle. Um, it, it's the vehicle that hit you that is uninsured 
theoretically. If they're a hit and run, you have no way of knowing whether they're insured or not, but your auto insurance, your UM coverage, provides that if you're involved in a incident with another vehicle and you you either are in a hit and run scenario or they don't have enough insurance or they have no insurance, your UM policy will cover your damages. What if you're on a scooter or a bike? Same thing. Um, there are certain provisions in the UM coverage policy that um, requires you to file a police report within 24 hours of the incident. Uh, you need to get as much information about the, the hit and run vehicle as you can. Make, model, color, year, any license plate information that you can provide. All of that's relevant and useful when you're making your police report. Um, you also need to notify your insurance carrier as soon as reasonably practical that this accident has taken place. Uh, we recommend that you contact a, a, an attorney first um, and make the statement with that attorney present. Um, you don't want to say anything that might jeopardize your case um, and it's much better. You're, you're safer, better safe than sorry. Um, contact a lawyer, whether it's myself or any other personal injury attorney here in town, um, and, and then let them make the report to your own insurance carrier. Let me put a scenario out there, and you tell me how these things shake out. Okay. Guy in a expensive Bentley comes flying down Montana Avenue and rear ends, or, or no, is trying to make a left-hand turn and gets into an accident with a Chevy Bolt, right? Um, both are injured. Like, did the did the person in the Chevy Bolt just hit the lottery, or like, what is the? How do these things kind of play out? We were able, uh, fortunately, to recover uh, significant recovery for my client because of the the severity of her injuries. Um, we were able to determine between the insurance company and my own office, determine comparative liability. And even in this particular case, um, you know, because the injuries were so bad, there was still a significant recovery, even though my client did bear liability for being drunk in the middle of an intersection. So don't, don't drink and walk? Is that uh, the... Well, if you're going to be drunk, it's better to drink and walk than it is certainly to drink and drive. And my gosh, don't do it on Montana Avenue. I've, you know... All those crosswalks, you know, so this is this is one of those things where you see people all the time walking across crosswalks, looking at their phones, not paying attention, completely oblivious. So whose fault is that? Somebody's in a crosswalk walking, they don't look, there's traffic coming, they step right in front of a car. Well, depends if you're in Los Angeles or New York City. <laughs> or Boston, New York City, the driver's never at fault. You're, you're, you shouldn't have been out in the crosswalk. Uh, here in L.A., it seems as if pedestrians just go ahead and walk when they're good good and ready. Uh, they should be making sure, try to make on, eye contact with the driver, wave, make sure you get a head nod. Um, but, yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's dangerous when you're walking in a crosswalk and it's an uncontrolled intersection. Uh, you've still got a duty on you to be sure that it's safe to go and not just jet out into traffic. So just because you're in a crosswalk means you are not 100% not at fault. That's true. I, the majority of the, the responsibility, the driver has what's called the higher duty. Um, 
they, they need to be really alert, especially when you're driving on a street where there are a lot of pedestrians like Montana. The driver of a vehicle has the higher duty on them to make sure that the intersections are clear. Um, but that's not to say that there isn't an argument that, that the pedestrian should have been more careful. Appreciate your time today, Rob. What, If people want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Uh, it's real easy. Um, they can call me at 310-392-3055. We're happy to take uh, walk-ins to free consultation, no obligation. Uh, we're located uh, right on the corner of Olympic and Bundy here in well, it's West L.A., but Santa Monica adjacent. Uh, I'm also on the web at www.lemleylaw.com, L-E-M-L-E-L-A-W, lemleylaw.com. Send me an email. A big thank you to Rob Lemley of Lemley Law Group for joining the Inside the Daily Press podcast today. And another big thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in to this week's episode of Inside the Daily Press. Stay tuned for more content, and we'll see you next time.